Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanica. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be A Better Investor podcast. My name is Raik van Niekerk and in this podcast series I speak to leading professional investors and business leaders about their investment journeys and we also take a peek into their personal investment portfolios. We try to understand how they analyze investment opportunities, what companies and assets they invest in and whether they have more hits than misses. The idea is to identify a few golden nuggets of wisdom to help amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Claire Renske. She is the Chief Investment Officer at Suka and Associates. And before joining Suka in 2020, she held the same position at 27.4 Investment Managers. Claire, thank you so much for your time today. First of all, tell us about your background. Where did you grow up? And of what careers did you dream of when you were young? Hi, good morning. So I'm Cape Town born and bred. I grew up in Cape Town, went to university at UCT. I was never really exposed to investments. I never thought of it as a career when I was growing up. I came from a household of engineers, so there was more of an engineering focus at home, so I could wire a plug and you know, MacGyver anything with some electrical tape, but we didn't really talk about money and I don't really think there was any to invest. Investing finance never really occurred to me as a career until I got towards the end of schooling. And when I decided what to do, it was off to UCT to do business science. And that was really the first time that I was exposed to investments, that I learned about the stock market, that I learned about investing compound interest, which was terribly exciting, and finance in general. So you were exposed to investment or the investment world at university. And when did you actually make your very first investment? Well, I was probably much, much older when I actually got around to investing. So after I graduated, I actually went overseas. I worked overseas for a while. And so my very first investment was really taking out the equivalent of an RA offshore in order to start saving for retirement. And so it wasn't into single stocks that I started, but more into retirement savings, which kind of dictated the path that my career has followed. So when I first bought my own shares, you know, as opposed to unit trust or any other fund, I think the first one I bought was actually African Bank because it just got cheaper and cheaper. I was like, they're never going to let a bank fail. (laughs) But yeah, I learned my lesson from that. Did you hold it until the implosion happened? I did. I did. I thought the implosion was never going to happen, that somebody would bail them out. But yeah, (laughs) lesson learned. Yeah, you know, lessons learned. Let's talk about lessons learned because everybody think a professional investor do not make mistakes. And how often do you make mistakes and how do you react to it? Everybody makes mistakes. I think, you know, 
part of what we do is trying to sift through and determine, you know, what's just noise, what are the facts. Especially dealing with retirement funds, you've got quite a long-term view that you're trying to take, but a lot of moving parts in the short term. And we all get things wrong. I mean, who would have ever thought that Trump would become president in the US and what that would do to markets? Whoever would have thought we'd see the extent of QE and then of QT. So we all get it wrong. But I think, you know, you definitely need to learn from your lessons. And I think a big lesson is to always remain humble, always to acknowledge that there's lots that you don't know, but to continue to have a long-term time horizon. So understand that, you know, what happens in the short term is not necessarily indicative of where things could go in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I once had a business which failed, and I think that was the best thing that ever happened to me because you just changed your perspective on success. You know, as long as you learn from mistakes, I think it can be very, very valuable. Tell us about your investment approach. How do you approach your personal savings for retirement and other discretionary investments? I think I'm probably a sucker for a sale and and a bargain, so I probably have too much of a value bias, but it is something I'm aware of. But for my own savings and my own retirement, I think the way I approach it is to often not think about it too much. Take away the month-to-month decision-making on how much should I put here, how much should I put there, and to just make sure that Every month, you're putting something away. You're making the most of the opportunities that you presented with and that you are willing and committed to making it a long-term investment horizon. So you're not tempted to dip in there in the short term. So I try to make sure that consistently saving for retirement and that I don't dip into it or and I'm not tempted to dip into it when times are tough. I assume you have an RA or you contribute towards a pension fund. Is it an RA? Yeah, that's correct. I have an RA. So I, I try to make or take advantage of the different options available. So I do have a personal stock portfolio that I tinker with from time to time, but most of my savings are into an RA. And then I also make use of tax-free savings accounts. Now, the big question is, do you manage your own RA or the selection of funds to invest in? Or do you leave that to a financial advisor? I do manage what I've chosen to invest, but it is through a fund. So I've chosen which fund to invest in and I leave it at that. Let's talk about that discretionary portfolio, because I think many young people, when they enter the job market, they would like to start building wealth, long term wealth. And it is not easy to do, especially because your biggest asset is time, but your biggest enemy is a lack of knowledge. So how did you, when you were young, approach savings and investments? And what were your goals? Yeah, so I think, you know, setting goals is very important. And I think for me, it's always been, you know, not coming from a background or a trust fund where, you know, we had lots of money. It's always been the goal of financial independence and security, you know, not having to worry about putting food on the table day in and day out, which I know is is a concern for many people. But 
the biggest thing is to actually just get started. And so the, the one benefit of RAs and pension funds is you do get the tax credit there. So it's always great to be able to maximize that first. But then, you know, take whatever money you have that you can afford to put aside and just don't be afraid to buy something and to hold on to it. You know, I think the temptation is always that young people, when they start portfolios, they want to be traders, you know, they want to be day traders in and out of stuff in a day. But, you know, my personal portfolio is built up of things that I thought were looked to be good opportunities at the time that I'd be happy to hold. And often, you know, sometimes it's blue chip shares that you know, are good, solid quality businesses that are going to continue to grow and compound. Sometimes it's even an ETF in a particular region or, or area or sector that's attractive at the time. So, you know, don't be afraid to put a whole lot of things together to get broad exposure combined with, you know, some blue chip long term positions. And don't look at it on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that, especially if the markets are down. Don't open your statement because it will ruin your day. But if you have a long-term strategy, you know, obviously stock markets have over many, many decades shown that if there's a dip, there's always a spike on the horizon. Tell us about your personal discretionary portfolio. What is in there? So it's quite a combination of things. So... I have exposure to some of the banks because I bought into COVID where they really looked attractive and were likely to be sustainable. I've got some nice person process in there because that's great exposure to the tech sector. And I have a few ETFs. I have a European equity ETF in there and I've also got some industrial holdings. I have some ETFs as well, particularly I think European equities and some other offshore equity. I have some retail savings bonds as well that provide a great yield. It really is a mishmash, some industrial stocks, some even retail exposure as well. I think the likes of Woolworths. It sounds like you focus on blue chip stocks and then also some more defensive investments into ETFs and uh, retail savings bonds. Is that your approach? That's a great way of putting it. So the long-term blue chips that you're going to just put under your pillow and forget about them and let them compound through time, knowing they're fairly safe. And then some more defensive broad sector exposures and combined mm. with the yield on the bonds. So yeah, I'm probably much more conservative than the average person. And any small caps? I do. I have Metrophile in there. <laughs> One Metrophile. <laughs> is that still a, well, that's a mid cap probably, isn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, probably. <laughs> Maybe it was a small cap when it went in there. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you could go back in time and speak mm -hmm. to the Claire when she just started earning money, what investment advice would you have for her? I would tell her to maximize her savings as young as possible and to keep going. When you first start out working, there always seems like there's something else you want to spend your money on. You know, you want to be independent. You want to save and buy a property. Then you have 
kids and then, you know, it's babies and buying nappies for them. And so there's always things competing for your money. But if you can maximize your savings, those expenses just grow and grow and grow through time as you get older. So it actually never feels like you there to be able to maximize. So maximize what you can put away from day one and just leave it and let it work. Yeah, I think that is a sound strategy, which not many young people fully understand when they set out on their investment journeys. It's very hard. I mean, there is so much that's competing for every single rand that you earn. To put it away is a tough decision. But if you know, often if you can automate it so that you don't have to think every month, what am I going to put here? What am I going to put there? It does make it easier. Take the decision out of your hands so that, you know, all those other competing expenses don't stand a chance. How long do you typically hold on to a share? Given the structure of my portfolio, it really is buy and hold. There's been very few things that I have sold. Typically, it's been for other reasons. So I remember owning Sassel and just got to the point where actually they weren't improving. They weren't cleaning up their act. And I felt it was something that I couldn't hold anymore. And so I sold that out. Similarly, with something like BTI, I think I sold that, but I sold that also more from a perspective of not wanting to support a tobacco company. Otherwise, you know, a lot of what is in my portfolio has been there since I bought it. And I guess it really would be a case of looking at each thing, determining that the investment case wasn't there, that it was, you know, under too much risk to sell it off. But it's not really something I've been very active in trading. It really is more buy and hold. The biggest challenge for young investors is to be patient. But it's not always that easy if a share loses value. So what do you do after you've made an investment and it turns out to be an absolute dog? (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes beauty is in in the eye of the beholder. Evaluate the investment case. Is investment thesis still sound? I mean, is the business going bankrupt today or like African Bank? Or will they continue to make money into the future? You know, is it a company that has a sound investment proposition? Because, you know, the share price is just reflective of sentiment. It's not always reflective of the value of the underlying business. So, you know, even for an investor who maybe can't put together a model and understand the value of the underlying company, look as a consumer, is this something that you're going to continue to buy into the future? And if you are, then, you know, does the business case for this company still stand? But it is difficult even for professional investors to take the loss and not to hope that it will increase in value in the future. And I think if you can get your mindset and your strategy to accommodate those poor investments, I think it will stand you in good stead. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's often two ways that people react to falling share prices. The one is to just sell. 
and react to what's happening in the share price. And the other is, is to just hold on to your investment thesis and really believe that you are right because, you know, you've done the work, you've bought the share, you're in love with it, you want to hold on to it. And so, you know, taking a step back and looking at it objectively can be very hard. But also, you know, what is your investment horizon? I mean, are you happy to hold on to for the next five years or do you want to take your losses and go? Now for the big question, what do you regard as your best investment ever? It would have to be putting money away into Maori because I haven't tinkered with it. I haven't looked at it except to see my statement on a quarterly basis and it has compounded and compounded and compounded. And I could not have done that myself without the discipline of putting away that money, having that debit order come off, not dipping into it when I change jobs, and just really being able to let it compound. Yeah, compounding, I think if you have time on your side, it can be your absolute best friend and and asset. And your worst investment ever, one you don't really want to talk about? African bank. (laughs) So your first investment was your worst one, and so the trajectory was up from there. (laughs) Yeah, make mistakes early in life. Yeah, and don't make uh, life-changing mistakes. Don't put all your money into one basket. Was it a substantial investment into African Bank in your financial position at the time? No, no, it wasn't. It's a discretionary portfolio. It's very much money that, you know, if it, if it went to zero tomorrow, I'd be upset, but it, it wouldn't impact my financial security. Claire, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your insights and telling us your story. You're most welcome. That was Claire Renska. She's the Chief Investment Officer of Shuka and Associates. Show me the money. That was the Money Web. Be a better investor podcast with Rake for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the Money Web podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.